A huge percentage of online advertisements are never seen by humans. They are viewed by bots, automated scripts that are opening web pages in a browser and pretending to be a human. Advertising scammers set up web pages, embed automated advertising on those web pages, and then pay for bot traffic to come and view those advertisements. This aspect of the internet is bizarre and alarming. Think about it. How much of the internet economy depends on online advertising? A lot. How many of those advertisements are consumed by robots? Some estimates say as much as 80%. The more time I spend looking at the online advertising industry, the more perplexed and curious I become. Augustin Fu also has this curiosity. He got a PhD at MIT in material science and engineering, but today he spends his time researching advertising fraud and working as an independent consultant. So stay tuned to find out his background and also what he thinks about advertising fraud. A quick note, if you are in the Bay Area on January 11th, come to the Software Engineering Daily Meetup at Galvanize San Francisco. There will be some awesome speakers, there will be food, there's a positive atmosphere, and you can find much more information about this on softwareengineeringdaily.com or at the Software Engineering Daily Meetup page. I hope you come check it out. Augustin Fu is an independent ad fraud researcher. Augustin, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. I've hosted five or six interviews about advertising fraud at this point, but I'd like to start with some fundamentals in case listeners are tuning into this topic for the first time. What is advertising fraud? So ad fraud in the digital side of things is very simple. It's just ads that are shown to users that are not humans. So normally advertisers would assume that when they put their ads uh, online that humans are seeing them. Uh, and normally that would be uh, the right assumption because if a human is visiting a website uh, like Yahoo or ESPN or Wall Street Journal, then when they load the page, the ad loads. So then uh, the human's seeing it. But unfortunately, with the rise of programmatic technologies and ad networks, um, there's now a lot of fake sites that have no human visitors and all their traffic comes from bots. So then when the ad impression loads on those sites, it's not a human that's seeing it, it's actually a bot. So that's what ad fraud is. One thing I want to stress in this interview is that making money as an ad fraudster is very easy. What are some of the steps that I could take if I wanted to start making money today as an ad fraudster? And I, I, this is not an endorsement of advertising fraud or like a how-to guide, but just in case people are thinking like, oh, this is some complicated thing that only black hats are capable of, explain how easy it is. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's easier than people think it is, uh, it is right now. So there's two key ingredients to digital ad fraud, and those are fake websites and fake users. So for anyone, uh, you can just go register a website, you know, for $7 or whatever. So you can easily set up websites and then you would load them into ad exchanges. So what that means is that you would basically register with an ad exchange so that you can carry ads, right? So they will give you a bit of code that you put on the page uh, so that you can run their ads. And then you need fake users, which you can now go buy by the thousands, right? So there's a lot of people online uh, that sell, you know, traffic. 
So you just go buy that traffic on a CPM basis, which means cost per thousand basis. And then you use that traffic to hit your web pages. And then when they, when the web page loads, the ad loads. So basically it's very simple to register a website. It's very simple to, uh, you know, add yourself to an ad exchange, especially the unscrupulous ones who really don't check, right? Uh, and then uh, it's very easy to go buy traffic. And the economics work out really beautifully and simply because if you buy traffic for $1 CPMs, right? So every thousand hits to your website costs you $1 and you know you can sell your ads for $10 uh, CPMs, then you basically pocketed $9 of pure profit. So not only is it easy to create, uh, but it's also uh, extremely profitable and lucrative. That sounds very high margin. It sounds very scalable. It sounds very replicable. Once I get one site up and running, it sounds like I can just keep repeating this process ad infinitum. Uh, So this sounds like a a really pernicious problem. Do you have any idea how widespread it is? Yes, it's uh, way more widespread than anyone thinks it's possible. Um, And that's because over the years, uh, there's more and more mechanisms that are in place to help uh, this scale up. So without getting into too much details, um, you know, there's been many different estimates of uh, fraud, but let me base it on the estimates of traffic. Okay, so there's many uh, studies, uh, several other companies, in uh, three specifically that I've cited in my recent research, uh, that say that two-thirds of the traffic on the internet are not human. So we'll start with that, right? So if the traffic, now this isn't necessarily fraudulent traffic, it's just that it's not human, right? So when Google sends a crawler out to index a site so that those, you know, the site and the contents can show up in search results, that's still not a human, right? So it's a good bot. But nonetheless, it's, you know, uh, not supposed to cause ad impressions, right? So it's still not a human. It's a bot, a good bot, but it's uh, not human. So if two-thirds of the traffic on the Internet uh, is not human, then at least two-thirds of the page views, the impressions, all that kind of stuff is not seen uh, by a human or a human didn't cause those web pages or ad impressions to load. But I do believe that the amount of activity that the bots account for is far more or far greater than what a human would normally generate online. So a human might look at one or two pages, right? They might go to that article that they're interested in, read it, and then leave. But a bot could be programmed to repeatedly hit that site or hit a sequence of 10 different pages to make it look more legitimate, right? So for a bot, it's really, really easy to generate many page views right? Because the bot doesn't care. They've done their job when they uh, loaded the web page and caused the ad impression to load. People might say, okay, there's fraudulent advertising, there's bots, but this stuff is priced into the cost of online advertising. Is that true? Um, That would have been true many years ago. And, you know, if there were only a small percentage of fraud, but that argument starts to break down when 90% of the traffic you're buying is fraud. Or if you say, okay, I used to pay $50 CPMs and then, uh, you know, it went down to $40 CPMs and then went down to $30 CPMs. But now it's $3 CPMs and maybe next year is going to be 30 cent CPMs. If the entire, um, you know, number of impressions of that 30 cents 
is generated by bots, even the 30 cent CPM is still not worth it for you as an advertiser. So the priced in argument has been a convenient excuse for the advertisers and their agencies to not have to deal with this problem. But it no longer holds up when you're talking about three cent CPMs, uh, $3 CPMs. The reason the bad guys can sell the ad impression inventory for such a low cost is because they didn't have to generate content. They didn't have to earn their audience, meaning get humans to the site, because otherwise they'd actually have to make real content that real humans want to read. So in this case, they don't care because they know they can just buy the traffic from bots anyway. So that's why they can sell it for such a low cost. And that being said, even the $3 CPMs or the 30 cent CPMs are going to be all fake. And so therefore it's not worth the advertiser buying. So the whole, you know, fraud is built in or priced in. Uh, you know, that's a convenient excuse that really should not be used anymore. Is it possible for us to implement systems that identify bots as they're hitting the page so that we don't serve the bots traffic? Advertising yeah, traffic? Yes, but there's different kinds of bots and different bots, uh, meaning some are more advanced than others. So I usually categorize it into, you know, kind of low, medium, and high. So just to, to be maybe oversimplifying this a little bit, the really the simplest bots are just scripts that repeatedly load web pages. But even those really dumb bots, um, often are enough to cause the web page to load and cause the ad impressions to load, right? So even they can earn some ad revenue fraudulently. The middle tier, which is a little bit more advanced bots, those are ones that are typically created in a data center. So these are made from developer tools like PhantomJS. Uh, PhantomJS is just a, uh, a tool that developers use to test their websites or test their mobile apps before they launch them. So those can be programmed and scripted to do things repeatedly, like scroll up and down the page, move the mouse around, meaning a fake mouse, and click on things because that's how the developers can test out their websites. So these legitimate tools are now being used for illegitimate purposes, uh, but because they can kind of do all these things, um, you know, if a fraud detection mechanism uh, assumes that mouse movement is indicative of humans, then they would incorrectly assume that this bot was actually a human because they saw mouse movements, right? So these this middle tier of bots are being used to get around uh, kind of uh, simple or basic fraud detection mechanisms, right? So as long as they can still load the page and cause the ad impression to load, they've caused ad fraud. Then you get to the most advanced kind of bots, and those are the ones uh, that have to come into play when uh, the advertiser has the most sophisticated fraud detection uh, mechanisms in place. Right. So in that case, I would say I typically refer to these as malware on humans' PCs, because if there's malware on a PC, they can actually record the real humans' mouse movements and uh, typing on the keyboard. And what they do is they play that back, like the mouse movements, uh, they play that back in order to defeat the most sophisticated fraud detection mechanism. So in certain cases, it's still worth it for the bad guys to use or pay more for these most advanced bots because they, they know they can get by the most advanced fraud detection. I want to talk about both of those last two techniques that you rec that you discussed. The replay attack, where you've got a piece of malware on somebody's computer or you could also just have a farm of people in India or Pakistan that are doing somewhat legitimate 
uh, internet behavior and you record what they're doing, you could build machine learning models based off of what they're doing that replicate their uh, their behavior. You're right. I, I would agree with you because if they're recording real humans' movements, uh, then all those biometric techniques are going to pass, meaning they're going to they're pass those tests. So the point of this is that, you know, when you program a mouse to go from, like a fake mouse, to go from point A to point B, it's going to just move there in a straight line. And so, you know, no, humans normally move their mouse on the page in kind of more smooth curves. Um, so if you see a lot of straight lines uh, and angles, then, you know, that's a telltale sign of bots that are programmatically told to, you know, go different places on the on the page. So that being said, when you have something that can record the natural mouse movement of a real human and then play that back, uh, that specifically will defeat those fraud detection mechanisms that are looking for, uh, you know, characteristic mouse movements or mouse movements that are characteristic of humans. That being said, you know, you, you talked about uh, farms of people in India and Pakistan. I mean, they used to do that. They used to need humans to do that. But now they can install code on various websites. So if you think about piracy sites uh, where there's pirated movies and music um, and also porn sites, uh, there's actually going to be a lot of humans going to those sites. So those sites play a particular specialized role in the fraud ecosystem where because there are a lot of humans going there, they're going to have code there that just records their visitors' actual mouse movement patterns, right? And so now you have millions and millions of real humans generating millions and millions of, uh, you know, human-like mouse movement patterns that then can be randomly sampled and played back at will uh, when necessary to defeat the fraud detection, you know, mechanisms. And then, oh, by the way, when you have humans coming to those sites, those are the sites that... Uh, are deliberately attempting various malware exploits, right? Uh, that's part of their process because if, if they can compromise a portion of their visitors, then those PCs become uh, candidates or they, they are ready to be added into a bot network, uh, a botnet to be used for the next attack. Okay, and this is the highly sophisticated uh, level of attacks this is not even talking about the much easier to execute process of spinning up a cloud server and running PhantomJS on that cloud server and just going to websites that way. So, are, I, you know, I've been arguing uh, w with a fellow security researcher uh, who will go unnamed, but uh, I've had an ongoing bet with him that says, um, I think that the data center bots... Uh, which are just the Phantom JS created in a data center is now going to be the f the vast majority of the bots, just because they are simple to create. Because you can just use a script to create a million copies of the exact same bot, right, spun up in a data center, uh, versus malware, which means you have to wait until an unsuspecting human accidentally clicks on you know a link that they shouldn't click on and get malware on their PCs. The other thing that's in play is that. Uh, PCs and laptops now have a very mature ecosystem of antivirus, anti-malware software, right? That's not the case for mobile devices or whatever, but in the case of PCs, um, you know, the, the incidence of malware is getting lower and lower and harder and harder to actually execute. So that's why I 
broke out those two categories, right? There's only certain circumstances where the bad guys really need that advanced of a bot in order to get by the the security mechanisms. Can, and can the, as an example, the, would be phar- the, pharmaceutical. Oh, you know, just uh, as an industry vertical that's under heavy attack, it's a pharmaceutical industry, right? Because the CPCs are so high and the CPMs are so high. So it's still worth it for the bad guys to buy more expensive bots because uh-huh. they know they can make a lot more, right? For all the other cases, they can use the less expensive bots that are created in a data center because uh-huh. those bots don't have to work that hard, right? They can still create the ad fraud. Well, okay, so you're saying that basically there are ways to detect the data center traffic. What are those ways? Uh, just look up the Amazon data center IP address ranges, or Level 3, or Colo Crossing, or Akamai, or Rackspace. Got that it. is so technically easy to do, but yet it's not being done by hmm. agencies, ad networks, and all that, because if they do that, they might lop off a very large portion of their inventory or their traffic. So it then becomes into the next much harder uh, aspect of ad fraud is, uh, are these people motivated or these companies motivated to actually fight the fraud even though it's technically easy, right? So in the case of detecting data centers, everyone should be doing that already because humans don't access the internet through data centers. So when you see a visit coming from a data center or if you see thousands of visits coming from a data center, those are not humans. So Mm -hmm. it should be very straightforward and technically easy to filter those out, but yet it's not being done on a large scale. Okay, just to give people who haven't heard the other shows that I've done a, a, a bigger picture of this, one of the perversions of this industry is that there's not a whole lot of incentive for a lot of the different players in the advertising business to to limit the amount of fraud. There's an incentive on the part of the advertiser, like if you're a pharmaceutical company, obviously you want fraud to be prevented, but in terms of the exchange or the DSP or the SSP or all these different layers of middlemen, Actually, all that they really want are more frequent transactions. and yep, more impressions and that run through their system. Yep. More impressions that run through their system, and they don't actually care that much if it's fraud or if it's not, if it's bots or if it's not. They just care about processing those transactions. So it creates perverse incentive structures. Um <clears throat> I mean, uh, are, is is that accurate? Are there are are there incentives for exchanges and stuff to to police fraud more? Um, you know, why isn't this why isn't this being policed more? Um, it's those more business oriented um, examples, right? So technically, yes, we can detect the bots and yes, we can filter out data centers very easily. But uh, like you said, it's the business incentives and the financial motivations, right? So if an ad network uh, prices, you know, has a revenue model that's based on the number of impressions that flow through the exchange. Um, they're not going to do anything that's going to, uh, reduce their top line revenue by 30%, by 50%, right? So they will, you know, catch the most obvious stuff and they will do what the industry trade bodies require them to do. So for example, the IAB has their list of bots and, oh yeah, we're scrubbing against that list. So they've done their job, but they really have no motive to do any more than that. So that's really the problem that has perpetuated the, you know, the the fraud. The other issue is that uh, the buyers, 
sometimes it's not necessarily the advertisers themselves. It could be the agencies uh, that are buying for them because they are gold on how many impressions that they buy and also at what average cost. There's another kind of perverse incentive there because the agency can now show to their client, we bought you more impressions at lower average cost by buying some really low cost stuff and mixing that in. Right, so there's an incentive built in for them to buy really low cost traffic, i.e. low quality, i.e. no humans, in order to, for them to look better and bring down the average cost. So until those kind of business things change and until the advertisers insist their agent to their agencies, it's really about buying quality, not about buying quantity. And we're going to also change your reward structure or your incentive structure so it's not based on how many impressions you bought for us. Uh, it's actually how many conversions or how much business you drove for us, then all of these existing uh, kind of motivations or incentives are going to, again, perpetuate fraud. That's why it hasn't been solved to any great extent. There's not a direct path to becoming a specialist in ad fraud. Uh, and this is evident in your case as much as anyone. You went to MIT. You got a PhD in material science and engineering I don't want to go through your entire background, but mm -hmm. could you explain how you wound up do, doing advertising fraud, studying advertising fraud full time, how you made it from material science to studying advertising fraud, and why why are you focused on this highly niche topic? <laughs> sure. Uh, it's because I think I have unique background experiences and unique qualifications to be looking into it. So it's really the combination of uh, marketing and analytics as well as an understanding of the technology. So the technology part is simple. It's really understanding how the bot makers make the bots, right? Because uh, if we know what the bots can do, then we can look for kind of the telltale signs. So one example I gave at a recent class uh, was that, you know, bots can be programmed to hit a page X number of times per hour, right? So then if you have the same number of visits to the page for every time period, then you're going to see a horizontal line in your in your charts, right? So when you see straight lines or rectangles in your charts, something's wrong, right? Because humans don't visit in such neat patterns. So those are examples of things that I can now tell in the analytics. Uh, you know, those are telltale signs I can see in the analytics uh, because I understand how bots work. So that's the technical side. The marketing side is really, you know, as I got back into the consulting side of the business, um, when I asked for details of the traffic, the, you know, the visitors coming to the site and what they did, uh, very often from the ad exchanges, they wouldn't tell me uh, where the ads were placed, right? So that was the first red flag. The second is they would just give you one rolled up number like, oh, you got an average click-through rate of this, and then they won't give me any other details. So as a data scientist and also just as a scientist, um, without knowing how they got those numbers and what assumptions went into those numbers, I didn't know if I could trust those numbers. So ultimately, uh, I ended up building tech so that we can do our own detection. And then that's is what led me into kind of the fraud research side of it. Because before I can actually do any of the digital strategy consulting, I have to make sure the data is clean. And then, you know, because no, none of these vendors or the ad networks were able to give me enough details for me to judge whether the data was clean, we had to go build our own tools so that we can do our own measurement. So now, 
that I have the tools. I'm being called in to you know, various clients to help them verify that the data is correct and then to build correct strategies on top of that. Right? So a lot of times when the bots are creating the fake traffic, the fake impressions or the fake clicks, all that gets recorded in the analytics. And then if you don't know what portion of your traffic is coming from the bots, then you don't know how wrong your analytics are. So it's really about cleaning up the analytics first so that then we can do better digital strategy. When I interview people such as yourself or Shalin Dar, who I interviewed last week about advertising fraud, I can't help but think of the characters in the book, The Big Short, where you're there's this giant industry that is built around financial activities that don't seem to be creating much value. All of the signs point to perhaps a bubble or yep. just a, col- a collection of behavior that's just like, this is this doesn't make any sense. It's this crazy herd mentality. We have this yep. huge industry being built up. When you look at the amount of fraud in the advertising industry, does it upset you? Does it worry you? Um. I, I'm a lot more practical than that. Of course, it does upset me. And of course, you know, it's sad to see so many advertisers get ripped off. And, you know, while the advertisers are getting ripped off, the good publishers are also seeing declines in revenue because some of the bad guys in the middle are literally taking money out of the digital ad ecosystem, right, into their own pockets. So both sides, the good advertisers and the good publishers are being hurt. Okay, so it's really bad for the entire digital ad ecosystem. But feeling sorry for the whole ecosystem is really not going to do anything. So, you know, basically what it's come down to is there are certain people, there are certain companies that actually want to do better. Uh, there are certain advertisers who actually want to improve their media. And so those are the ones that call me up and say, can you help? Right. There are others that are perfectly content to just keep buying the way they bought and, you know, trust that everything's taken care of by somebody else and or that fraud is already priced in. So let's not rock the boat and let's just keep doing what we're used to doing. And then same thing on the publisher side and then same thing with all the middlemen. Right. So I will tell you over the years, none of the middlemen, I won't name any, even any categories. None of the middlemen are our client, are my clients because they actually don't want to hear any of this. So, you know, long story short is I help the people who want to be helped. And these days, you know, I've already published enough for the research to help educate the market that when someone actually needs help, they can find the stuff, the slides, the LinkedIn posts that I've published, and then they'll call me up and then I can help them. So it's really not, you know, not that practical or useful to be feeling sorry for the whole industry, even though, you know, digital hasn't really achieved its full potential because of all these problems. What role do Facebook and Google play in this advertising ecosystem? So a lot of people call them walled gardens. Uh, so Facebook in particular, maybe Twitter, because uh, they're a logged in environment and you know those are kind of their own closed ecosystems. They do sell ads, right? They have display ads and you know some text-based ads and that kind of stuff. But um, they have their own carve out. And in general, if I were to make a dramatic oversimplification, some of those walled gardens are less prone to this kind of fraud. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to basic economics, right? If the bots can't make money, they're not going to waste any time doing it, right? So if the ad impression loads in Facebook, Facebook makes the money. 
so the bots don't have any financial motive to cause a whole bunch of ad impressions to load. Right? There's other forms of fraud on Facebook like fake accounts, fake likes, and all that kind of stuff, but those are different than what we're talking about here. Right? It's the fake impressions that we're talking about. So you know, for certain advertisers, it would make a lot of sense for them to advertise in those closed walled gardens like a Facebook or a Twitter. So to me, walled gardens is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Yeah. And then also on Google, when you advertise on the main properties like Google.com, when the ad serves there, Google makes the money and the bad guys don't. So again, the bots don't spend a lot of time causing ad impressions to load there. Same thing with YouTube. All right. So some of those things would be very good places to put your ads because they're less prone to this kind of uh, ad fraud that we're talking about here that the bots create a lot of. It's when you get into the partner networks, right, where someone else, like a third-party site, is allowed to carry Google ads, whether it's a display ad or a search ad, and those third-party sites have now a financial motive to inflate their own revenue by using fake visitors, right, mm -hmm. i.e. the bots. So when you have that incentive, right, those are much, much more prone to fraud. And then it's basically like, will those publishers or will those websites do the right thing and not inflate their own ad revenue by using bots? Then it comes down to kind of a moral judgment call. So that's usually not very reliable. The walled garden nature of Facebook and Google seems really appealing because you can get something that is not biometric but is as appealing as a biometric um, measurement like you can just look at the social graphs and you can look yes. at how somebody's how somebody is inter interfacing with other people over Gmail and you can get something that asymptotes towards being able to really look at somebody as as a human because Correct. they are interacting with other people that look like humans and the thing about bots is they tend my understanding is they tend to look like uh, entities that are just interacting with other bots well, let me uh, let me counter that a little bit to say that the bots, um, the fake accounts on Facebook, are being built up to connect to a lot of humans. So you know you might have seen this in your own Facebook experience. You know I'm getting a lot of just random requests from random Facebook accounts, and usually it's some hot girl with one picture, right, and nothing mm -hmm. else posted. So for the casual observer who's not security, cybersecurity focused, or you know thinking that way. Uh, oh, well, someone wants to friend me. Let's accept the friend request, right? So then those bots and those fake accounts that are being managed by bots are actually, you know, connecting to a lot of humans. So that alone is not enough, right? It's usually, it's a good way of telling, but, you know, don't rely on that 100%. Now, the other example of what Google's doing is that they have a ton of users uh, that are logged in. So they've already kind of made some waves or they you know, had a shot across the bow to say that, you know, come 2017, they're going to start testing examples of where your ads get shown only in logged in environments. Right. And so that includes Gmail, that includes YouTube, that includes other logged in places where you're logged into Google. Uh, the other benefit of that is that when you're logged into any of the Google properties, whether on your desktop computer, or on your mobile device, um, they have characteristics of you, meaning a human, right? They know your geo trace. They know what city you live in, where you tend to walk and all that kind of stuff because you have your mobile device with you all the time. So given that, um, they now recently announced the, the new CAPTCHA system where it doesn't rely on a human typing in some kind of 
uh, screwed up letters, right, to try to get that, get by that, because bots can do that easily now. What they're doing is uh, they have other information about that user, right? not necessarily the personal information, just more like characteristics of that uh, identifier, so that they can make it a decent guess whether it's highly likely to be you or a person so that they can make it easier capture, right? So some of the captures I've seen recently is that you just have to click a few things on a picture and then you're done, right? So they can even look at the mouse movements and if you click too fast, right, uh, that's not characteristic of a human. If you click in the normal speed uh, that a human could do, then those are things that they can now easily check and say, oh yes, we know this is a human. So there's some benefits to uh, kind of these closed ecosystems and it's already starting to show up in kind of new offerings and new services like uh, what I just mentioned in terms of Google's reCAPTCHA. One thing that makes this industry difficult to audit is that in order to know statistics about it, you would have to know both the numerator and the denominator of like yeah. bot traffic versus non-bot traffic and that assumes an ability to capture all of the traffic on the internet. Yeah. Can you explain how I mean there's major advertising players like Rocket Fuel that or I, I guess we shouldn't be mentioning specific names but you mentioned that in in one of your uh presentations you know this is like a player that publishes statistics for how much bot traffic there is and I look at this and I'm like I don't even understand how are they finding these numbers so how can you audit yeah. this this overall internet advertising ecosystem well, in this case, uh, those three companies had different methodologies, and they're just sampling what they can see, right? So mm -hmm. each of them sees a portion of the internet, but you know, the I cite other people's research, and when three companies, different companies, different methodologies, they see different portions of the internet, all say that 50 to 60, 65 percent of the traffic is not human, then I have three sources that have corroborated each other. That's how I can cite that number, right? So you're right. No one really has visibility across the entire internet. Maybe Google can come closest mm. to that than anyone else, but still they see their particular slice of the universe, and then you extrapolate from there. Mm. <laughs> Do you have an idea for how much digital ad spend ends up being wasted on fraud? Um, it's it's a lot, but uh, you know, and I've I've published these numbers before. I'll, I'll just tell you the the recent change that I made. So last year, I had a pie chart out there that says about a third of the dollars are lost to fraud and basically siphoned out of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I just updated that chart to half. So I'm being conservative here. Uh, you know, I've seen the two thirds of the traffic is bots or not human, but I'm just uh, citing a half of the the dollars are being siphoned off just to be extra conservative. But again, those big rolled up numbers are really not that useful because uh, there's too many assumptions that went into those things. Uh, what I usually tell clients is that they should measure their own situation because I've seen clients with 98% bots and I've seen clients with 2% bots. And that's because of a difference in how vigilant they are. Right? So the one with 98% bots is the one that assumed their agency took care of it. And then the agency assumed the ad network took care of it. And then the ad network assumed that the SSP took care of it and so on and so forth. Everyone mm -hmm. else assumed that someone else took care of it and basically no one did. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the one that had 2% fraud meant the advertiser was very knowledgeable. The agency that was serving them was very knowledgeable and they constantly looked at the data and they constantly uh, improved their media and pressed the 
networks and all that to help them put checks and balances in place. The strategies that these companies can take, an advertiser can take to get their fake traffic down to 2%, what are the strategies? Is it selecting from, diff- basically selecting from the flow of sources uh, of publishers, or is it for the, yes. the source, the publishers, okay. Yeah, so so very simply, I mean, sometimes it's just a, a matter of where you buy and stuff like that. So the first uh, best practice, first rule of thumb is don't assume that someone else took care of it. The second rule of thumb is don't assume that when they say they have some fraud detection platform in place that that's going to take care of it. So yes, it's going to be better than not having a fraud detection technology in place, but that's not going to catch all of it, right? In some cases, it's not going to catch even close to all of it. So it really is something you have to, you know, keep checking. So these companies, it's, it's, I would call it more of a business process. So it's not necessarily just throwing more tech at it to detect and then do, do stuff for you. It's going to be have the tech, have the right tools in place, but also be vigilant. And when you look at the technology, that's going to help you pick off the, the, obvious ones, right? So when you're seeing data center traffic or names, bots, and all that kind of stuff, all those things should be scrubbed out right away. And then you look at your own analytics to say, you know, is this traffic converting anyway, right? So if we're getting a whole ton of traffic from this network, do any of the visitors ever convert into anything that I'm interested in, right? So for some of the categories like retail or travel, it's very easy to see the conversions because you can see the purchase or you can see the travel booking, right, on the online. But even for offline type advertisers like a CPG company that sells, uh, you know, packaged goods in grocery stores or soda manufacturers, they should still have a way to track through to conversion events, right? So as an example, for a CPG company, uh, you can track it all the way through to a click and print coupon, uh, which then they know the ratio of those people who printed the coupon will actually, you know, some portion of them will take it to the store to redeem. So even those things are good indicators, right? A bot has no incentive to print off the coupon, right? They would have already committed the fraud by causing the ad impression to load. So you want to pick those things, those conversion events that you can observe that are less likely to be faked by the bots, uh, meaning they're either unable to fake it or they have no financial motive to fake those. And then you have parameters that are much more reliable and basically free from bot activity. So then if you can track it all the way through to those conversion events, then you can say, okay, uh, looking at all the different places that I buy media, you know, which are the best ones that are yielding the most business results, then I should actually increase my spend to those because then I know I can drive more business results. And then for the places that are not converting, this could be, you know, simply it's the wrong audience or it could be because it's bots, but you obviously reduce spend. I mean, that just sounds like really common sense, but yet when you have a machine do it for you and you're not looking at it and optimizing it, even with common sense, then that's how the bad guys keep getting away with it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the other example of how this can go wrong is that the bots can fake anything uh, that you want to see. So, for example, if you say, oh, I want higher click-through rates, the bots can generate more clicks and therefore get you higher click-through rates. And then if you start to optimize your media without really looking at it to see if it even makes, you know, passes your gut check, uh, then, you know, your algorithms might actually increase the money allocated to sites 
that show higher click-through rates or ad networks that show higher click-through rates. But unfortunately, those are not real. Those are all faked clicks. So then you're sending more money to the bad guys and the fraudulent networks. So in that sense, um, you know, definitely use technology, but always have kind of human oversight and always just ask if it passes the, the, the smell test or, the, or your gut check. Right? It has to make common sense. We saw the Mirai botnet take down websites like Netflix and yep. Twitter not long ago. You've written about how the proliferation of connected devices and IoT will increase ad fraud. Yes. Be- because these devices are so easy to take over, we saw them we saw them take down Netflix and Twitter and yep. uh, you know as bad as that was, there's also like the harm of of just running a browser on these connected devices and having them click on ads. And this sounds harder to police than cloud servers that are... um, Correct. So that that gets back to, yeah, the the harder bots are the ones that come from residential IP addresses. And this is essentially like a residential one. Yeah, because all these devices are coming out of a residential IP address. So (coughs) there's millions and millions more of those than data center IP addresses, right? So that's one point. And the, the other point is that these devices typically are, you know, kind of old, simple versions of Linux. There's never any kind of malware uh, software uh, installed on it or antivirus uh, software installed on it. And then, oh, by the way, all of them use default passwords from the factory. <laughs> right. So, I mean, and because the sheer number of those um, is just so much more than the number of PCs, Right. I mean, we went from PCs and laptops to mobile devices, and we jumped up two orders of magnitude. Right. There's 100x more mobile devices than there are desktop PCs and laptops. Right. And now, when we go to IoT, with you know, just literally everything that has a chip and an internet connection, that's going to be yet another thousand x increase, three orders of magnitude increase in terms of the numbers of devices that you know fall into that category. So, you know, with just a small number of these devices, they could take down, you know, the biggest sites. I mean, in that particular case, it wasn't that they overwhelmed the individual sites. They took down DNS, which is a way to take down many, many sites at the same time. Uh, But nonetheless, that was a proof of concept to show that even a small number of these very weak devices, but if you just get enough of them strung together, it can mount an attack that can, you know, really overwhelm sites. But I kind of jokingly say, you know, uh, some sometimes the bad guys might even want to DDoS their own site because if they have ads on it, it's going to make them a whole ton of ad revenue. So previously, you know, I, I talk about these bots. Uh, these are the same bots that were used for DDoS attacks in the past, right? Simply overwhelming a site with it, too much traffic to bring it down. But that wasn't lucrative. Now they can use the same bots, hit the web pages that carry ads, and they can make a whole ton of money from it. So it's way, way more lucrative use of the bots than just DDoSing someone's someone's website, right? So uh, bad guys are, are in on the game, and more and more bad guys are getting in on the game as well. And, and there's also, like, the bizarre question of... The thing is, what's interesting about fake news is that what's clear... What's been made clear over the past month or so, month or two, is that people want fake news. They want to read fake news. Whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, people want yeah. to read it. And so... It's so troubling because, you know, 
now there's even you know now not only is the is the profit motive clear but uh, there is you know and and this makes it so this makes it harder for like Google or Facebook or uh, or or an ad ad exchange to police uh, fake traffic on these fake sites because yeah. there's lots of legitimate traffic going to these fake sites people yeah, so, actually want to see these fake news <laughs> yeah. and then so they want to see the ads and no so so not necessarily want to see the ads I mean these are humans and and fake news is just the latest round of clickbait. Right? right, so a lot of the other kind of, uh, you know, those uh, Tabula and Outbrain kind of things are more uh, like clickbait. Right, it's a half-naked mm-hmm. woman, and they, you know, oh, they drive your curiosity by making some uh, some headline that's salacious or whatever. So humans do click through on those, but these days you don't have to wait for the unsuspecting humans to click through on it. Right, you can have plenty of bots. Those are much easier to create by the millions, and you sell them on a CPM basis. So they really don't have to wait for unsuspecting humans to do that. But to me, you know, all the stuff around fake news to me is no new news. Because right. fake content has been around since the beginning of internet advertising, right? So years and years ago when, you know, I'm searching for reviews on an HDTV, I click through on a search result only to find myself on basically a fake site that had assembled a bunch of pictures and words that tricked the search engines so that they would show up high in the organic search results, right? So when I click through on that, accidentally, that generated page view so that they can you know, earn the ad revenue on the ads, right? But again, that was an unsuspecting human clicking through to fake content that was assembled for the purpose of attracting, you know, uh, clickbait, right? But these days, again, with the proliferation of programmatic and with the proliferation of these tools that can be, you know, legitimate tools that can be used for illegitimate purposes, like these developer tools used as bots, they literally don't care. It's such a small volume of humans actually accidentally clicking through or even wanting to click through on the fake news that doesn't make them enough money the bots make them orders of magnitude more money on the on the ad fraud right so that's much more scalable it's much more automated you know they don't rely on humans so again years ago they did have click farms in thailand india right there's some funny videos made of that where humans are just click 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 right on on ads and on web pages but again humans are not scalable so it's way easier now to just spin up a whole bunch of bots and data centers and you know generate billions upon billions of fake ad impressions that humans are such a small part of that revenue that they don't care about that anymore. What about ad blockers? What are the effect of ad blockers on the advertising ecosystem? So unfortunately, ad blockers have just further reduced the ad revenue of good publishers. Okay, so the good publishers like the Hearst, the Condé Nast, the Merediths, all that, they've been hurt for the last 10 years, right? So the first wave was digital, siphoning traffic away, you know, so so now there's alternatives to the magazines. And then more recently with programmatic, uh, you know, even further ad revenues are being siphoned off to these low-cost sites, right, or networks. For them, it's like it's not their fault, but when a human has a bad ad experience on one of these long tail sites, right? So when we go to these long tail sites, they do unscrupulous things like put 35 ads on the page, or they might get malware or something. So when a human has a bad ad experience on one of these long tail sites, that's going to trigger uh, them to install an ad blocker. But then when they come back to a Wall Street Journal, an ESPN, or a Condé Nast website, ad blocker's still on. Right, so at, with 
at no fault of ESPN or Wall Street Journal, the human has now loaded an ad blocker, and now that's causing a revenue decrease on legitimate publishers. So it's really a, a bad thing for the ecosystem that um, we can't solve by doing what they call re ad reinsertion, right? So there are now a whole flurry of companies out there that says, oh, we can help you detect the ad blockers, and oh, by the way, we're going to help you reinsert the ad. You know, some will say, oh, yeah, we're going to ask the permission of the consumer first, but, you know, it's, it's going to further piss off the consumer, and that's not something a good publisher uh, should do or would want to do. You had an excerpt from an ad, uh, uh, AppNexus report in one of your slide shares that I saw. Mm -hmm. AppNexus is a big advertising exchange. You were discussing some of the things that you you think they're doing right. What should the different players in the advertising industry be doing to improve? What did you admire about what AppNexus was doing? Um, I wouldn't give them too much credit. I think uh, they, they had to do what they did. Uh, otherwise, they would have lost all their clients because uh, for a long time, the, the main problem was that in the effort to grow as fast as possible, a lot of these ad exchanges let everybody in. And uh, ultimately, that meant a whole bunch of fake sites and fraud sites and all that kind of stuff got into the network and started running their ads. So, you know, at some point uh, last year, so in 2015, they took it upon themselves to clean that up. So that was good. That's commendable uh, action on their part. And that chart was what they ended up publishing, right? They got an ad exchange article written about that to say that they cleaned up 92% of their inventory, right? So they went from 260 billion ad impressions to 20 billion ad impressions, 92% decrease. <laughs> and then they, at the same time, uh, increased their CPM prices by 800%, right? So for all intents and purposes, they didn't make less revenue. Uh, but uh, basically, the, I asked the question, what the heck were those advertisers buying before they did the cleanup? So while that was noble of them to do that, uh, I don't necessarily feel too sorry for them because they didn't make much less revenue uh, after that. Uh, but the other stuff that the network should be doing are the very things that they're not doing because they don't have the financial motives. Just like we were talking about earlier, they all have uh, inverted incentives to keep the status quo instead of actually aggressively reducing the fraud. Hmm. What's interesting about this industry is that it's not, it's not like advertising doesn't work. Advertising does work. It has value. But the way that things are set up right now are yeah. that... It's impossible to just blindly throw money at a problem and get advertising to work the way you want it to. Correct. Do you think that, are we in the midst of a bubble? Do you think that things are going to change? Do you think there's going to be some uh, dramatic event that makes things yeah. change? Or This is not going to be a slow deflation event. This is going to be a bubble bursting or think a so? house of cards collapsing. Mm. Yes. Uh, that's the only way it can work um, because everything up till now has been, I mean, it's essentially collusion, right? It's basically even good players not really acting aggressively to solve the problem. But once there's enough of that kind of catalyst, uh, the entire chain reaction is going to happen. And it can't happen slowly because it's either a good guy, uh, with you know, meaning, meaning a good publisher that actually has humans, uh, or not. It's, it's very, very clear. 
where it becomes unclear is because a lot of the industry trade associations, the language, the standards have made it less clear and not more clear. So when we define something like a threshold, and I'm going to deliberately avoid saying which standard or threshold I'm talking about. When we define something as a threshold, that's some arbitrary threshold that a committee decided on, uh, that's actually making things less trans transparent and less easy to pick out the good from the bad than the opposite. Right. So in that case, those standards didn't help. In fact, it's helped perpetuate the fraud and other bad stuff. So, you know, as I said earlier, digital has not fulfilled its true promise yet because of all these problems, because it's not being used in the right way. It's not being used in the most efficient way. Right. So part of that comes from the fact that a lot of advertisers are still approaching digital with a reach and frequency mentality, which it which has held over from TV and traditional advertising, right? So in those traditional channels, it's all about reach and frequency, right? How many people can you show your ad to? How often? That kind of stuff. But by applying the reach and frequency mentality to digital, we're using digital in a way that's suboptimal, right? Digital is a very good direct response channel. And the very simple thing that I always cite uh, in both class and in the webinars I give is... Uh, you know, when a consumer sees any ad, whether it's on TV or print or any ad, the next thing that they go do is to search for more information, right? And they would search uh, more vigorously if it's a big ticket item or a more complex product that they want more information about, right? They're probably not going to do much research on a can of soda or whatever, but nonetheless, the default habit is to go online and look for further information when the consumer wants it. So in that sense, uh, if you think about the offline channels and the maybe the more branding-like uh, parts of the digital channels like display ads or video ads, those can generate awareness, but you need other things to help you harvest the demand. Right. So when someone's looking for information, you need search ads to get your brand in front of them, or you need content on your own website so that they can actually click through and go read, uh, read up on something and get the answers that they want. Right. So in this case, programmatic is just a symptom of that because it's allowed big advertisers to just buy more and more and more. And when you buy more and more inventory, bots are happy to generate as much inventory as you want to buy because uh, there's kind of an infinite supply of that. Whereas there's not an infinite supply of real humans going to web pages and looking at stuff. Right. So as long as advertisers have that mentality of reach and frequency and they apply that to digital, then even that's going to help perpetuate the fraud because, you know, they're just asking for more and more impressions and more and more reach. And the bots are, you know, very happy to oblige because they can generate as much impressions and reach as you want to see. Are you optimistic about the future of advertising online? I am. Uh, I mean, until I got into the ad fraud side, you know, I, I've been the diehard optimist. And even now, I am the optimist because I do think that digital can be used better. Uh, digital can show uh, better outcomes. And again, uh, let me use one more simple example. Right. So if half of the traffic to your website is generated by bots, right, and then uh, you have a certain conversion rate, right? So say, for example, uh, your conversion rate's now 7%. If you cut out half of that traffic that came from bots, right, in the conversion rate equation, right, where you have the number of conversions divided by the traffic, if you reduce the denominator, 
your conversion rate is going to go up. So what you're seeing right now when there is bot traffic coming to your site is an artificially depressed conversion rate, right? It's lower than it should be because you have this number of conversions for this great quantity of traffic. If you cleaned up the bots and you are left with the humans, right? Because bots don't convert, humans do, right? They end up buying something or doing whatever conversion event you're looking at. Then your conversion rate is going to be actually more accurate and more reflective of reality, right? So when you have humans coming to your site and they convert, then that conversion rate uh, would be much more accurate. So in that sense, a lot of the stuff that the, a lot of the analytics that uh, advertisers and their agencies are seeing today in digital are artificially depressed, right? So they'll say, why is my digital conversion so crappy? And they'll say, oh, well, maybe I should just, you know, go back to using traditional channels because I'm really not getting much returns from digital. So as we clean up the fraud, as we start to uh, reduce the bot activity, then the, ac uh, the measurements, the analytics are going to get more accurate. And when that happens, then we're going to move towards the original promise of digital so that now advertisers using digital more correctly, right, as a more direct response-oriented uh, channel are going to actually see better results from it. So they're using uh, offline channels and other, you know, branding-like things in digital to generate awareness but they're also using digital to harvest the demand as well. So in that sense, um, you know, digital has yet to fulfill its potential, but I'm optimistic that it will once we're able to clean up all this kind of fraudulent activity. Okay. Augustin Fu, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jeff. 